So the verse that I'm going to be focusing on tonight is uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. God gave us not a spirit of cowardice, but of power, of love, and of self-control. That is, uh, or can be translated, of a sound mind. And you notice from the title of this evening's message uh, how I tried to, as succinctly as I could, to include um, the gist of the, of the verse, the cross, which is the power and the love and, and self-control that God has given to us, and the collapse of cowardice um, cannot stand before uh, the cross of Christ, the gospel of our Savior. I'd like to uh, begin by just bringing to your attention uh, five, five points before I get into the actual uh, words of the, of the text. <clears throat> the first is that uh, I just want to remind you of uh, uh, the Sunday school class previous uh, to the one we have now. Jerry taught that class, and um, the title of the class was uh, The Last Words, um, and he was referring to the last words of um, Paul uh, and Peter. And uh, was talking to him uh, prior to him teaching the class. And he told me that he came up with this idea because in his reading, he noticed that both of these men knew that they were going to die. And so what would an apostle who knew he was going to die desire to do? And that would be to make sure that those who are coming uh, behind them would continue on in the faith. Hence the last words. This is one of the last words chapter. And how important it is, um, because the Apostle Paul, he's speaking to Timothy. The Apostle Paul, a seasoned, mature uh, pastor and apostle, speaking to Timothy, not, uh, not quite uh, seasoned in, in the ministry of, of the gospel. But he wants to inform Timothy. He wants to make sure that Timothy knows of what is going to be taking place and the attacks against the word of God. <clears throat> he wants Timothy, above all, to know that his life and ministry must be based on the apostolic word of God. And why is this? I think of a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said, when there's mist in the pulpit, you could be sure there's fog in the congregation. And so there has to be a clear understanding of the word of God, and that needs to be perpetuated. Secondly, you notice Timothy can't turn to the Apostle Paul and say, Paul, well, the cowardly stuff, the timidity, the reticence uh, that you're speaking of, that, that's my personality. Um, and see, the structure of the text won't allow it. In fact, if he were to say something like that to the Apostle Paul, what Paul would say in return is, uh, well, uh, it's, very, it's because of your personality Uh, that tendency for you to be fearful or timid or cowardly that I want you to be on your guard. 
Thirdly, the context clearly makes a distinction between the specific and the general. So the specific is a reference to the fact that Christ has poured out gifts upon his church. And you see how Timothy refers specifically to the laying on of hands uh, and the gifts that Timothy received. And uh, so that would be the specific uh, emphasis of, of the passage. But there's a general, and that's the verse that we're looking at tonight. He gave us, he gave us a spirit not of cowardice, but of power of love and of self-control. And what I mean by that is that text about not giving us a spirit of cowardice, but of power, love, and self-control is given to the church. It is something that we all possess. So while Paul is certainly speaking uh, to Timothy on that pastoral level, he is using as his foundation, as his basis, the very truth that what Christ has accomplished and given to the church. And so our text this evening is very relevant uh, to all of us present uh, this evening. Uh, Fourthly, I want to just read a passage that really just exemplifies um, or with a megaphone shouts out what this passage, uh, this text is telling us. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he that is Christ himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And so you see that the the liberating aspect of, of this verse, the freedom that you and I have in Christ Jesus. Fifthly, uh, to be a help to Timothy, Paul must address his internal life. And so he says God did not give a spirit of cowardice, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. And you need to use the context. Every time you see that word, which is translated spirit, to understand what is being referred to. And here, the reference is to the life which one gets in fellowship with Christ. That is the reference. And so you can see how Paul is speaking of his inner life and saying, cowardice is not numbered among those qualities which God has given. So let's begin. Let's look first at what God did not give us. And here you'll understand why I favor the word cowardice in the translation. And then secondly, we'll look at what God has given, what God did give us. And then uh, we'll just make uh, some comments of application. 
So first, what God did not give us, and that is cowardice, that internal acceptance of or surrender to a culturally driven ideology that may even dress up and present itself as a virtue rather than a vice. It's a vice. Fear, timidity, cowardice. You really want to understand what I'm getting at here? Just think of the Wizard of Oz. All right, and, and, and so Dorothy goes uh, to the Wizard of Oz with her three uh, friends, <clears throat> and they're all in need of something, right? And so the focus now, obviously, is going to be on who? The cowardly lion. The cowardly lion really does help us understand the nature of the problem here. Uh, there's something fundamentally wrong with saying cowardly lion. Why? Well, because lions are not cowardly. <laughs> a cowardly Christian? Uh, there's a problem. Because Christians are not cowardly. And if you are, and I am, call it what it is so that we can deal with the problem, address the problem. We don't want to soften uh, the uh, meaning of, of the words here. So let's look at the actual word, the nature of cowardice, <clears throat> and, and then the um, cause and effect, or the cause and damage of, of cowardice. Both are opposed to what God has given us. <clears throat> so <clears throat> as you look at the text, you, in Greek, you'll, you'll realize that uh, the word that is used is delia, del, uh, del and its root, Delos, it tells us uh, the nature of the problem. Number one, there's excessive fear. And number two, there's excessive self-concern. Excessive fear and excessive self-concern. The excessive fear is is that it's, it's... just you're driven by, by fear. It's, it's dreadful. In other words, you're full of dread. Uh, it, it's describing a person who loses their moral gumption or their fortitude that is needed to follow the Lord. And then so important uh, to uh, the reason why I would prefer the word coward is because of the second reason, the excessive self-concern. Fearful of losses. It refers to an excessive fear, a dread of losing, causing someone to be faint-hearted or cowardly, hence to fall short in following Christ as Lord. And then we see the, uh, the secondly, the cause and effect, or the cause and damage of, of cowardice, um, And we see that here, too. It's opposed to what God has given us. And it tells us the the severity of the problem. So there's two. There's two elements that we need to look at. First, a temporary, and second, a permanent. A temporary cause and effect and a permanent cause and effect. Um, A temporary cause and effect of faithlessness. And we all, at various times in our lives... Um, experience this. We go through these uh, these times of, of faithlessness. 
Um, and the cause is, you know, your God is too small. That, that's certainly a- a- apropos. Think of Mark chapter 4, verses 37 to 40. And here is where we're going to find uh, that word, delos, the word that is uh, interpreted um, coward, <clears throat> cowardice, cowardly. And this is when Jesus was in the boat with the disciples and a great windstorm arose and waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke up and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, why Are you so afraid? That's the word. Why are you so cowardly? Why is there cowardice welling up within you? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The point that Jesus is making here is that they should have had confidence in him, not in themselves. I mean, they're they're accomplished men, most of them fishermen by trade. They've been on the sea all their lives. And it's, it's certainly not the point that Jesus is making. They should have had confidence in him and in the one who sent him. They should have exercised a faith that grabbed hold of that fact that they know that he is near um, and that he is almighty and he is for us, not against us. Well, then that brings us to the uh, second cause and effect, which is permanent. It's the cause and effect of, of apostasy. And you can see the, uh, uh, the damage. Yes, there's damage with the first, but through repentance, we return uh, to the Lord, right? Apostasy is, is a permanent, um, a refusal to repent, and, and the damage is of an eternal nature. Revelation chapter 21, verses 7 to 8, is a reference of Christians who through cowardice give way under persecution and apostatize. So the one who conquers, the Lord says, I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, and that's, I don't even have to give you uh, a, a, a word that's there. That's in the translation. Delos, <clears throat> cowardly, the faithless, the detestable. As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That's the final place of all unrepentant sinners. I love what this one counseling agency, um, Red River Counseling, uh, they came up with this this great definition of of cowardice, uh, which is very, very helpful. Cowardice can be defined as a trait wherein fear and excessive self-concern override doing or saying what is right, good, and of help to others or oneself in a time of need. 
It overrides it. It is the opposite of courage. And um, this particular author uh, for this agency said also, there is no trait that is more incompatible with the call to follow Christ than cowardice. And so again, I want to remind you that Paul is addressing the Christian's, Timothy's internal life. God gave us a spirit not of this, but of that, not of cowardice, but of power, of love, and of self-control or a sound mind. What Paul says to Timothy principally is what Jesus says to his followers and us Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 26. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, (laughs) take up his cross daily, that's important, and follow me. Because it's not a one-time thing. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits, loses himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. As often as you continue in this lifestyle, this lifestyle of the cross, not the lifestyle of the rich and famous or whatever, the lifestyle of the cross. You deny yourself, take up uh, your cross and follow me. Cowardice collapses. Because it's nothing in comparison to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, what he has given us. Cowardice is not a part of my life, the Lord Jesus Christ says. It is not a part of the life I gave you. And so Paul calls on this, on this, uh, these, I would call them character witnesses. Power, love, and self-control presents these internal character witnesses that sit in council against fear, against timidity, against reticence, against cowardice. Each one speaks, presenting evidence of the Lord's glory in you, encouraging you, strengthening you, comforting you, convicting you, correcting you. What God gave us, he says, are power, love, and self-control, or a sound mind. Divine traits of of courage, Christ-secured, life-transforming. Having been transferred into the kingdom of Christ, Colossians 1, 13 to 14, and created anew in Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2, 10, so too you have been granted access to the throne of grace that you might receive grace to help you in your time of need, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. And so unlike the fanciful journey of the Wizard of Oz, the journey 
to the Wizard of Oz. This is not a fanciful God promising to give what he cannot deliver. Do you believe who God is and that this is what he has done for you? Do you find your identity in who he has sent, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what Jesus Christ has done for you by laying his life down as that atoning sacrifice for sin? Not only is cowardice not a part of the the equation, but as I already alluded, it, it collapses as you apply it. Take up your cross daily, right? A daily activity. Daily, we are to apply what God has given us, that power, love, and self-control. There are great spiritual provisions that he has given us as he condescends to us in Christ to help you live the victorious life. And I'm not, and I phrased it that way because I don't want you to think that it was only one time that God condescended to minister to us. He does it again and again. When we cry out for help in our time of need, he condescends to us in Christ to help us to live the victorious life. So this cast of characters whose divine, uh, divine traits we are given in Christ, what are they? The power of God, right? the dunamis, uh, the love of God, the agape, and then a little more complicated, needs a little bit of explaining, is this idea of um, the um, sound mind that we have in Christ, the self-control that we exhibit. So let's look at these character witnesses. The first one is the power of God, um, which breaks that hold that cowardice, cowardice so often has on us, that a debilitating fear uh, that we sometimes uh, experience. <clears throat> we know that uh, the promise is given, First John chapter 4, verse 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, and certainly that's applicable to uh, our text this evening. See, God's power is needed in every scene of life so that in order to really grow in sanctification and to prepare us for heaven, for glorification. The Lord says to us through this this character, I created you. (laughs) I sustained you. I redeemed you. And I have broken the power of sin, of death, and the devil. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. I love this passage. I love this passage so much. Paul delights in this response that Jesus gives him because he's got this, this problem and he keeps going to the Lord and saying, God, please take it away. And, and, and Jesus says to him, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. That's for you. That's for me. It really is. 
this, this word made perfect is the idea of, of telos, the reaching the end. And I love how in the definition they actually gave this illustration of the old pirate's telescope, how it unfolds. And each time it unfolds, it becomes more strong, right? It goes to full strength capacity. And so, and this is the idea here that as we cry out to the Lord, the Lord is displaying his power in us despite our weaknesses, right? And then Paul reasons this way. Um, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And that idea of resting upon is literally the word to tent upon, to abide. (laughs) That is so beautiful. We heard in the Sunday uh, school class uh, today, Lane Tipton's class, how that God uh, created uh, the highest heavens as a tent to abide in that we might worship him, right? Same concept, except that now we're talking about it abiding in you and in me, okay? Of the re- it's speaking of the resurrection power of Christ this descending upon you, working within you, and giving you help. How beautiful, um, how beautiful that is. And then the second character witness, uh, the, the love of God, um, and that is to dispel uh, the lie that uh, the cowardice um, deceives you with. Um, and how does that work? Well, self-preservation over the preservation of the truth. And always it's going to hit us um, in that way. But, but listen to what John says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. Um, Perfect love casts out fear. And so this is agape love, right? The Father shows how much he loves us by sending his one and only Son into the world, John 3.16. The Son shows us his love by laying down his life. Greater love has no man than this, that one lays down his life for his friends, John 15.13. By the presence of the Holy Spirit, they have, Father and Son, taken up residency in our hearts as their home. This perfect love strong arms the excessive self-concern component of, of cowardice in our hearts and casts it out. So the vicious cycle of failing to stand your ground and failing to be the one that can be counted on, yes, can be broken. Notice how Jesus summarizes the law even um, in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and following, where he says the law is made of two parts, right? Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. So we are enabled to love in that way. And then uh, thirdly, the self-control or the sound mind that God has given us to mitigate the irrational lies of cowardice. So how do we understand 
this. Um, it's kind of hard to understand self-control um, and even a sound mind. Uh, they're both helpful, but we need to see it as living in God's defined balance. God's defined balance, where there is an inward mindset that regulates outward behavior, uh, moving in the bigger picture. And as we do that, there is a transforming action taking place uh, within us so that we are radically balanced according to God's will. And so the verse, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, be transformed by the renewing of your minds, I think is a perfect verse to fully understand what the Apostle Paul is uh, speaking of in, in, with using this word. So we stay the course. Um, we trust in, in the Lord uh, to, in all situations which are changing day to day, uh, we don't know what to do at, at one moment. Um, we need to cry out to the Lord for his help. The mind of Christ will um, guide us as we submit to him. And you notice, as we read the passage in Hebrews, right, that Christ had to be made like us in every way. So too, these, these three words really speak to each element of our humanity. So the power of God enables and, and, and um, empowers our wills to do that which is right, do that which is good, and, and not uh, cave in, right, to cowardice. The love of God speaks to our emotions, and it inflames our hearts so that we're not so easily... Um, dissuaded from obeying the Lord because of our self-concern, right? And then <clears throat> that sober-mindedness um, or that self-control speaks to our minds. It enlightens our minds um, in what we are required and uh, to do um, what God wants us to do, what the will of the Lord is, that good and perfect, right, and pleasing will. So what is your response to be? Well, I'd like to um, give one response that I think would work for all of us. <clears throat> and that is, you know, when the um, individual came to the disciples. They couldn't help. And, um, and um, Jesus asked, do you believe? And what was the cry? What was the cry? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And I think if we can contextualize it uh, to our verse, I will live courageously. Help my cowardliness. I think that works because we all experience this, this fear, this timidity at times, and this cowardice that needs to be repented of. <clears throat> um, Martin Luther certainly had 
reason to be full of dread and fear of losing um, many different things. In January 1521, Luther, who denounced indulgences as a means of salvation and denied the papal foundations of the church, claiming rather faith in Christ as the foundation, had to face a papal decree declaring him a heretic for which he was excommunicated. Several months later, in April, he had to face the uh, imperial diet of the Roman, uh, Holy Roman Empire, led by the Emperor Charles V. But Luther stood brave and steadfast against the charges, and he made his famous reply, unless... I am convicted by the scripture, that is convinced by the scripture, and plain reason. I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot recant, and I will not recant anything. For to go against conscience uh, is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. And I think the most um, telling phrase in that entire quote is, God help me. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I will live courageously. Help my cowardliness. But he stood, and he's a good example, a good model for us, just as the Apostle Paul was for Timothy. I'd like to look at, given that, uh, that expression, five applications. Um, do you believe this? Once a coward, always a coward? True or false, right? Oh, we know it's not true because we understand that um, repentance brings us back into fellowship with God. Uh, Peter is a good example of someone who showed cowardice or enslavement to fear. Um, He denies the Lord in Luke chapter 22. He's restored. And then again, after uh, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. For fear of the circumcision party, he refused to sit and eat with the Gentiles. And Paul just had to take him to task. You're not in step with the truth of the gospel. He had to do it openly because Peter openly displayed this cowardice before all. Secondly, stand, standing uh, before your Lord um, is such a comforting thought. Romans chapter 14, verse 4 And yes, it's in the context of the weaker brother. Don't judge your weaker brother. He's standing before his own master. But that's a principle. That's a principle for all of us. Whether we're struggling with um, a particular weakness or not, we're standing or falling before our master. If I'm going to fall, I want to fall there. What a comfort to know that even if I do succumb to weakness and I fall, I fall before him and he is able to restore me, right? Thirdly, think of the incremental progress that needs to be made. Always think about taking the next step. 
learning from your failures. What did Jesus say to Peter when you're restored? When you're uh, restored, strengthen your brothers. You're learning not only from our failures, uh, but learning from others. So it was in a Russian gulag, Joseph Stalin's corrective labor camps, where Alexander Solzhenitsyn was transformed by the cross of Jesus Christ and where God gave him a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. It was there where he learned that, and I quote, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every heart. And he, that's Alexander, learned to say, I quote, bless you prison. I have served enough time there. I have nourished my soul there. And I say without hesitation, bless you prison for having been in my life. And after learning of the sufferings of Alexander, all the sufferings that he endured and the sanctifying effect that it had on him, John Piper writes, Oh, that I would be done with murmuring against my tiny prisons. Lord, grant me greater faith to live in the coming day when I will say, bless you, all hardship and pain. You have cut me off from the death of prosperous idolatry again and again. Thank you, God, for the life and work of Alexander Solensky, or I'll get that right. But there's a quote, and, and our brother Aaron has this um, on his email, all right, on his closing uh, comments, a quote from Alexander. And here it's to encourage us, right? The next step, a simple step. The simple step of a courageous individual is not to take part in the lie. One word of truth outweighs the world. Fourthly, do you see the connection between daily life and spirituality? You see, the new life in Christ can't be compartmentalized. Ah, that is so deadly. Christ is in us. We take it wherever we go, right? And we apply it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was in a, a, a very complex um, situation where he had to address civil matters uh, because uh, as a Lutheran pastor, he was living during the rise of Nazism. And he, in fact, was, was executed uh, for his opposition to Hitler. He courageously spoke against the persecution of the Jews. And when Hitler demanded a church that swore allegiance or loyalty to him, he helped create the Confessing Church, which declared that its head was Christ, not the Fuhrer. But here's a quote that really um, helps us understand uh, this, this dynamic, that we cannot compartmentalize um, that, that life, that new life in Christ where we have the power, um, uh, the, the love, and the sound mind that God has given to us. Your yes to God demands your no to all injustice, 
to all evil, to all lies, to all oppression and violation of the weak and the poor, to all godlessness and mocking of the holy. Your yes to God demands a brave no to everything that will hinder you from serving God alone, whether it be your profession, your property, your house, your honor before the world. Fifthly, and lastly, do you find reasons to capitulate, to excuse your cowardice, your cowardly behavior, I should say? Or do you stand firm in the power and the love and self-control of the Lord, consciously leaving the results in God's hands? So John Bunyan, what was his crime? (laughs) He was thrown into prison. He was a tinker in England, and he preached without a license. That was it. (laughs) And they threw him in prison. And um, he is quoted as having said, when the authorities came to pick him up from his house, where, yeah, he spent 12 years in that prison away from his wife and four children. Had I been minded to play the coward, I could have escaped. (laughs) But he didn't. And we have a wonderful blessing uh, to the church of Jesus Christ in the allegory. Pilgrim's Progress. Let me just read a couple of things that are very helpful because the Pilgrim's Progress operates on two levels. On one level, the book is a storehouse of Puritan theology, the Westminster Confession of Faith with people in it, as someone once said. On another level, however, it is an enthralling adventure story, a journey of life and death from the city of destruction to the celestial city. The poet Samuel Taylor uh, Coleridge would later write, I could not have believed beforehand that Calvinism could be painted in such exquisitely delightful colors. That was by Scott Hubbard. Let us never be minded to play the coward because the cross and the collapse of cowardice is a reality. It's an eternal truth. As we anticipate sitting at the Lord's Supper, let us thank him for the power and the love and the sound mind that he has given us in Christ Jesus. And let us leave the results to him as we commit ourselves to doing that which is right, that which is true, that which is good, that which is holy. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you would um, use uh, this particular text of your word to um, empower us, to encourage us, uh, to bring us to our um, senses if we are out of step with you. We pray, Lord, that you would um, apply uh, the word with great power and that you would make us all, each and every one of us, courageous uh, Christians who want to do uh, the Lord's bidding. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.